0: Interviewing as a technique of gaining information is as old as humankind. Talking to people as a form of scientific inquiry about their experiences is fun, but also a methodological, moral and theoretical challenge. In the past decades oral history has become a widely used research method in different disciplines. Given that oral history is a technique, and the way of constructing histories, this series of podcasts tries to offer an overview of different ways of how to construct the information and how to analyze it in a wider methodological context. This podcast is designed for those who want to use interviewing as a method of collecting empirical material. It consists of eight sections. The first one is discussing oral history developments, basically the historiography. The second one is analyzing the politics of oral history, who are those who are using interviewing for political reasons. The third one is connecting the social and personal level. The fourth one is discussing ethical and legal dimensions. The fifth one is about practicalities, what to do, how to do, what not to do. The next one is discussing questions and questioning. The seventh one is discussing narrativity, as oral history is using narratives and to understand stories. And the last one, the eighth one, is about interpretation. How to analyze oral history? What are the limits and the possibilities? Every podcast is around 20 minutes each. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will find this podcast series useful. the seventh meeting we have about narrativity, and we don't have anything else uh, from the oral history stories but the stories, right? So we have got stories which are told to us with words, with gestures, uh, with uh, certain sounds. Uh, So basically, narrativity is a very complex term, because on the one hand, this is the story what you get. And also, these are the pictures, these are the smells. I mean, there are several other kind of non-verbal clues, which also belong to the analysis of narrativity. And uh, uh, the major point, the most important point when you are looking at the concept of narrativity is the differentiation between life stories and life course. Uh, because the life course is um, what we all have, in a sense that this is a synchronic story of our life. We are born, we have school, other school, so there is this uh, kind of chronologically listed events which happened to you. It's also a dynamic process that, you know, you are moving from one place to, to another, from one uh, institution to another, and uh, uh, this kind of live course is what you everybody has, which usually ends with uh, you know uh, being dead and being remembered. But the life and this live course is also a story uh, which is produced by the um, interviewee uh, choosing from the different cultural repertoire. So on the one hand, you have got the story of the individual, what you put into your CV, to put it very bluntly, right? So a kind of chronology. Uh, Of course, you don't put everything in your CV, but I mean, that is the, you know, but then the life course is actually the story which is constructed by the interviewee when you are asking the question explain me how did you end up living in Oklahoma or whatever. So this is the story which is actually told to you by the interviewee. And the way how this story is actually told is really dependent on the so-called cultural repertoire, which is the uh, uh, concept by Lamont. What does it mean, this cultural repertoire? That what kind of stories, what kind of concepts what kind of vocabulary, what kind of uh, 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 framings are available for the interviewee to tell the story. For example, uh, very few will tell you a story that I was a horrible husband, I was a horrible wife, I was constantly cheating my husband. So you don't really have that bad stories, not only because people like to love themselves, but also there is basically no cultural story of this kind of self-bashing when you are actually interviewed to construct your own self-representation in the future, which is an interview. So when you are looking at this cultural repertoire, this is dependent on the class position, on gender, on ethnicity, on rural uh, regional, on regionality. So when you are thinking about these stories, how these stories are being told, they are always contextual. If you are asking the question, uh, explain, or uh, share with me your experience in the elementary school. If you are asking this from an elderly, rural um, a woman or from Uh, professor at CEU, you will have a very different experience, not because there had been a big difference when they were age of six, but then the moment they are actually recalling that event, what they experienced at age of six, there is this huge difference between their experiences, between their education, and between the cultural repertoire, which is available for them. And there is something what is called the life stories, and this is your story the researcher's story so when you are constructing the story and uh, uh, this reconstruction of the reality is very much future oriented it means that you are actually constructing a story with this very deep belief that this will be actually uh, read and ha- will have a will have a have an impact so Uh, this life course in memory. Uh, Life stories are nothing else than life courses in memory. So how this is actually mediated. And the key concept here is the mediation. And how these structured self images. Structured, structured because of the uh, power relations present in this mediation, how these self images are actually constructed. Because when you are telling a story, what did you do at age of six? Right? You are. You see a picture of yourself at the age of six, and you start describing what you see in front of yourself. But this is also a self-representation because if you uh, you immediately choose a story what you will tell, and you will not tell the story how you were naughty with your you know desk uh, uh, and you know hitting your colleague or whatever, but you are actually telling a story which is conscious about the self-representation. So what I would like to stress here when you are looking at narrativity you are looking at at least three levels what has happened which is in your cv the life course and the life stories right so when you are analyzing and that will be the uh, the next uh, topic how you are actually analyzing these stories this analysis should not be you know only constrained of, for the two first two levels because Sometimes this is the most difficult one to reconstruct the so-called CV level which is the kind of what has really happened with that individual because there is a story right with each and every individual's life and then you have got the other level which is the life course how the individual is telling you the story and your analysis should not be confined retelling what the interviewee is telling to you, but it should have, you know, a live story. And you are making that story. And let me stress again the importance, your ethical responsibility, and also the political opportunity which is actually opening up for you when you made the decision that, yes, I would like to tell this story. So narrativity actually opens up a space for political activism. Right. That's what I would like to stress. So, what are the major issues when you are looking at the uh, this kind of uh, uh, narrative uh, issue of narrativity? The first one is related to the kind of uh, discussion between uh, interactionalism versus eyewitness account. Uh, the concept eyewitness account. This is the concept which is coming from the early period of the, of the oral history when uh, uh, oral historians were collecting stories, saying that you were there, you saw it, tell us our story. That's how it has happened, right? And if you uh, look at, for example, the early stories of the Holocaust narratives. Right? Then you see that these stories were also eyewitness accounts, which were used as proofs. Right? So this has happened. So those stories which were collected at the, uh, right after the Shoah, you see that these stories were collected in order to prove that this has happened. And then there is another uh, approach, which is this interactionalism, which is looking at this power relation. Or the structural discussion between the interviewee, the interviewer, the context, and the cultural repertoire, which is actually analyzing how certain stories are being told. And they are being told depending on the interaction. Just let me bring in this um, uh, uh, example I was already using in one of the. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the lectures that uh, if you have got an interviewee who is a, a young, pale man wearing dark suit and in a survey about sexual practices, this, uh, this gentleman is asking 16, 14-year-old girls, are you a virgin? Then definitely, you know, the response will be yes. I'm a virgin. So, in a sense, the, who is the interviewer? Who are the interviewer? These interactions are actually influencing uh, the story, the environment, the context that is also influencing this story, and also the cultural repertoire available. Uh, the next issue is about the practical insights how it structures the work. So, if And this question has been already mentioned several times previously. What happens if you know, right? The conflict between, let's say, your CV and the the interviewee's CV, sorry, and then the story which had been told to you, right? So what happens when you know uh, that this story cannot be true because you actually made research and you know that, you know, the individual was not there, could not have seen that. Uh, so, this practical insight. So, when I wrote my book about the um, um, uh, female members of the Aero Cross Party, I was analyzing the story of one uh, Bill in One massacre which happened not far from uh, the Octagon. And I was interviewing. Uh, Uh, the survivors who were absolutely convinced that they have a real, authentic story. They know what has happened. So I spent days basically going into the apartments, trying to knock on the doors, trying to beg myself in the apartment that I could actually stand at the same place, having the same angle, how, according to the testimony, the survivor had actually saw or haven't seen uh, what happened there when the Cross uh, paramilitary organization came and, uh, um, uh, and um, and uh, massacred like 18 um, uh, uh, Jews in the, this um, uh, Yellow Star house. And it turned out that these stories are basically not accurate, right? So, but what happens when you, because they could not have seen, it's impossible that they actually fit it into that particular space, what they, in the story. But when I actually asked them, because I had the opportunity to do the second round of interviewing. And when I was asking the question that, are you sure? And can you recall again? Uh, Then they are basically considering as an offense, because that story, which had been told so many times and had been also recorded by the uh, different uh, institutions as the official story, they are the basis of their, um, identity and also the subjectivity. Therefore, what you can do as a uh, uh, as an oral historian that in the live stories, as a researcher, you are actually reflecting on this process, but in a very kind of um, ethical and uh, nice way, uh, and taking into consideration all possible uh, uh, issues, uh, because all these stories are. Uh, Attempts for creating autonomy and a quest for identity. So when somebody is telling a story, that story is basically a political act. Setting up a space, controlling a space, performing and preserving a certain identity. Therefore, as a researcher, you cannot really say to that person that you know this is basically not true, but you can you have to accept those stories as they are. So uh, this is basically a social construction of identity, which is connected with the concept of uh, 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 cultural uh, repertoire and also this um, issue of inner truths. The concept of inner truth, which is there in every story. You cannot really say that this is not a true story, because every story is an authentic story, but it's connected to the construction of subjectivity and intersubjectivity. And this authenticity is connected to the importance. And this importance is in a, you know, quotation mark because this importance, is, this importance has got very different views as far and very different points of views as far as the real importance is concerned because very often you have got this long narration and you don't really understand why the person is giving you that story. But it turns out that it's a very you know, crucial part of the self-representation of the individual because that narrative is needed in order to present herself or himself in this particular uh, uh, context. And the key concept, and I would like to spend some time with this, is the concept of intersectionality. Those of you who are from gender studies, of course, this is a kind of well-known concept. But since the majority of the class is coming from other uh, departments, I would like to uh, uh, spend some time with the concept of intersectionality, because that's a major theoretical, analytical category, which is needed to be used when you are actually analyzing these stories. And uh, 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 it looks at the differences uh, between individuals, looking at age, ethnicity, class, nationality, sexuality, and so on, which do intersect. Uh, Intersectionality is the most visualized concept. Very often they are visualizing intersection like a snowflake that you have got age, class, ethnicity. They meet and there you have got your subject. I would like to question this snowflake concept of intersectionality um, and um, looking at how the categories themselves like age, ethnicity, class, nationality, sexuality, are themselves are constructs. And there is nothing better space, method, to understand how it is actually happening than interviews so uh, and stories and narrations. Because then you see how the individuals themselves are actually constructing the experience and the analysis of those particular categories. So every interview is a performance of a certain intersection. And uh, when I brought uh, this um, experience of an elderly, rural uh, woman from the provinces who is working in agriculture uh, in uh, the past 80 years, that's a good example. But here we are as researchers who are assuming that how she will be actually talking about her life. But we have her story. And when we are analyzing her story, we can look at how she is actually performing, narrating those differences, how she's dividing herself from the others. What are those traits which are making her different from the others? So, therefore, when you are looking at narrativity as a concept, it, this is a major resource for a kind of intersectional analysis, and it is an intersectional analysis in itself. Uh, because who defines when, where, which of these differences become in, important in their conception and which do not? So, this differences are told to you in stories. So when in the next uh, uh, class, we'll be looking at the analysis. We are actually looking at how these stories, these differences are actually narrated. Where are the borders? Who is drawing the borders? What is the role of the institutions making those borders? Who are the gatekeepers who are actually giving these borders? Uh, uh, this is a quote from lord from one thousand nine hundred and eighty four uh, which is uh, speaking about um, uh, feminist theory and why actually intersectionality is such an important uh, concept. If uh, white American feminist theory need to deal with the differences between us and resulting difference in our oppressions, then how do you deal with the fact that the women who clean your house and tend your children, while you attend conferences? Feminist theory are for the most part poor women and women of color. What is the theory behind racist feminism? So this is a classic quote, which is always used when you are looking at uh, intersectionality. And this is from 1984. And it shows that intersectionality has also its own story, starting to question that how feminist and feminist history is related to the concept of of differences. Um, So looking at the, uh, this problem is not new but basically looking at how the differences are actually uh, sometimes homogenized, like womenhood, and ignoring differences between women. So when you are making the analysis of the interviews, and then you are trying to connect the individual and the social. Then you will see that you are sometimes making these overgeneralizing, essentialized statements. And here I just would like to, you know, flag this important point that when you are talking about your subject, right, the person whom you have interviewed, take into consideration this complexity of the subject. Uh, so. This is uh, uh, the strength of this approach is that it reflects on the otherness. And it strives to avoid essentialized, fixed, and homogenized assumptions of identities. Uh, And it offers a very complex possibility of analysis and uh, uh, looks at the uh, moves away from genderism uh, that everything can be explained with gender differences because gender differences are themselves are constructs. Uh, what are the problems with this analysis? First of all, um, applying the intersectionality to empirical analysis, uh, it's seemingly, you know unsurmountable complexity. You have got this enormous variety of differences. I think like 27, Helmholtz counted like 27 differences, and they are somehow undermining the concept of how you are actually talking about a a certain uh, subject because the list of differences is endless and it's impossible to take account all differences which are there. So uh, therefore the the content of, precisely the content of intersectionality is that the axis of differences do not intersect and and they cannot be isolated and desegregated. Uh, So this kind of additive approach that everything, that the differences are adding up, like when you are buying uh, uh, ice cream and you are putting chocolate and vanilla and whatever. But the real interesting, point, and that's what actually narrative analysis and interviews can help you, is looking at how the different uh, differences are actually made and in those stories. So you are looking at the stories which are actually uh, performing those differences. So again, who defines when, where, why, which of these differences are conceived and become important and which do not. And the space where you can actually do this is the interview and the story. And you have got the interviewee who is telling you who defines, who is defining when, where, what kind of differences are important. So for example, if you are asking the question that, um, what was the first time when you felt that you are a refugee from Hungary in the US? Right? That's a good example because it shows that the interviewee positioned himself or herself into this particular uh, kind of position and looking at the different institutions and individuals who are actually constructing her, his or her subject position based on Differences constructed by the institutions and the others, right? So then, the, every story can be analyzed from the position of how this is actually constructing the differences, and how the who are the agents of of this uh, uh, difference. So the aim is to map. map the production of gendered, sexualized, racialized subjectivities in order to gain a deeper understanding of the crossing of the axis of differences and identity in social life. Production, right? Mapping the production. You are not retelling what has been told to you by the interviewee, but you are mapping the production. And the space where you are actually mapping this production is the text of the inter, of the interview. Producing and the way how it is actually produced is through telling a story, right? And you are mapping it, it means oh, it means that you are not creating a hierarchy. you are not judging that this is a true story or this is a bad story, but you are looking at the story as it is, and looking at as a product of certain stories. Um, differences and identity in social life. Yeah. Uh, so basically, the narration. The axis of identity and subjectivity become explicit. The identity, the person who is telling the story, just go back to this example of the uh, Hungarian refugee in the US how this refugee actually was projected his or her identity through this interaction or institution or visualization by others in order to help him or her to construct and to perform his or her identity as a refugee, Hungarian refugee in the US. uh, subjectivity is the way people make sense of their relation to the word making of it the modality of the identity and we will have a special class on the issue of subjectivity and, and intersubjectivity which is which are actually crucial for for the narrations So basically the question you are asking how a person perceives or conceives an event would therefore vary according to how she's culturally constructed and what she identifies herself with and or differentiates herself from. And this is never easy. In a sense, it's a complex differences which are influencing those stories. So if you have got an elderly male established professor, or if you have got a, a refugee who is a, a performing certain uh, stories, or if you have got a a participant of a traumatic event in 1988, you have got all uh, these very different constructions of identity, how perceives and conceives this uh, uh, event, and how it is actually constructed. So this is an active process. This is a performative process. And this is a bordering process. Herself, himself, and the others. Himself, herself, and the institutions. Himself, herself, and the values, right? So this is a process which you actually get in the stories. Because every story is, every narrative is about this production of differences. And these differences are, you know, not these, you know, snowflakes which are, you know, meeting and then there you have got the subject, but the parts of the snowflakes are also constructed. So it's a, a rhizomatic uh, way of constructing all these differences. So you have got all these um, uh, interwoven uh, stories. So what I would like to stress here is, uh, and it is how she's culturally constructed. This is the cultural repertoire, where I actually started that, of course, somebody who is coming from a, a rural, uneducated elderly person is telling a very different story than a minister of culture, and how he herself identifies with this. So. Uh, the concept of um, identity and difference. Uh, this is um, uh, this uh, cl- a classificatory system through which meanings are produced. Because you are what you are telling in a story is what is the meaning of that event, that person, that picture or whatever for you. And that is uh, through that you are producing the meaning of of, uh, that particular event. So if you are interviewing those who were um, survivors of the gulag, for example, then you see that uh, these meaning, meanings of certain events, are constructed and retold to you based on the self-constructed identity position. So that is the contextual uh, way how these stories are constructed. And uh, uh, this difference is used as such to create positive perception and representation of the self. Because this difference is, uh, is the basis of the identity construction. That she is the survivor of the gulag, not anybody else. So that is her story. She's telling the story as a person. So every story is contextual. And this story is based on the identity, which is actually produced, performed, and um, uh, influencing uh, the cultural repertoire. Um, And the difference may be used to construct a negative view from the outside. So this is also a a space for constructing this outside. And uh, uh, let me uh, go for this, uh, the concept of of biographical research. Uh, The method of, um, uh, because you are asking about stories of the life, you are asking biographical stories. And uh, uh, these stories are telling aspects of identifications, how the person is identifying himself or herself as a survivor of the Gulag, or basically ignores this difference, for example, and uh, this uh, belonging is shaped uh, cannot be shaped into a pre-programmed settings or answers. So this is always dependent on the uh, particular context and this interaction between the interviewee and the interviewer. So. It can be very much the case that you are receiving very different answers if the interviewee knows that you are an in-group person or you have got this contextual knowledge then if you are, uh, because this identity definition, the identity construction of the interviewee really depends on this uh, interaction between the interviewee and the interviewer. Viewer. Um, because these biographical interviews are discursive moments discursive moments when actually this uh, is actually constructing a a story, constructing... uh, uh, This is a moment when stories are being told, created, performed, where certain power relations are involved because you have the right and the responsibility to to ask uh, questions. And when you are analyzing this kind of stories, and that will be the next um, uh, discussion, uh, how this uh, uh, analysis is happening, because you are looking at the The story elements, the story elements which are, you know, which has got a beginning, a middle, and an end, how the events, protagonists, bystanders, situations uh, are actually described, what are the beginnings, the endings, and the moral conclusions in the stories. And in order to be able to do that, you have to have all this knowledge, in a sense that you are not looking at the chronology. You are not only looking at how the person is actually telling the story, but you are looking at the story as somebody who is analyzing those stories. And then you are looking at the um, values and judgments, which uh, uh, which are found in the events, which are told, because these values and judgments are the signs, the traits, of how actually identity is being constructed in these stories, what are the explanations and reasons? For example, when you are asking the question that um, why did you go out to the street to demonstrate in 1988 uh, in uh, in Almaty, for example, then you actually ask for explanations and reasons, which are showing you how this person is constructing his or her identity, right? So these are basically the, the points you are looking at when you are, uh, you are trying to analyze the narratives. You are looking at the, uh, the situations, the beginnings, the endings, and the conclusions, saying that, oh, I should have done differently. Or then you are looking at these self-reflective statements, and you are looking at these values uh, and judgments and explanations and reasons which are in the text. So you have the life story, you have the narrated life story, and then you are like, uh, you are putting a grid on the story. And this grid is informed by the intersectional analysis of the subject position. And basis of this analysis is is the story, because you don't have anything else than than the narrative. And... um, uh, and the narrative description and the evaluation are not separate activities, as the descriptions that are produced in narrative discourse always do contain evaluations. So there is not such a thing as objective stories, right? Because every story consists of a certain evaluation, and every narrative is embedded in political historical context. Telling a story can only be understood in relation to a larger context. And that's your task, right? That's what you have to do when you are having the story, looking at the uh, analysis of this larger context. And that's what we will be doing next class.